Peter Jack Charlton. I believe the game is a thinking game. Sit down and take it easy. Maybe a bit volatile. Loading. 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 Memory banks. Charged. Hard drive. Enabled. Floppy drive. Enabled. Easy singles. Unwrapped. Hello again. This is the voice of the grandstand final score computer. I've been dragged out of storage to guide you through the final stages of Mexico, 86. So let's go. Right, let's crack on to the final games of the group matches with their dizzying permutations. Remember, that's the top two in each group that are going to go through. But they'll be joined by four of the best third place finishers. So uh, let's start with Group A. South Korea, two. Italy, three. Alto Belli still scoring. He got two of the goals in that. It looked like he had gotten the third goal as well, actually, but it was an own goal. In the end, he missed a penalty in that game also. South Korea gave them a good run for their money there, though. Their second goal was a very nicely worked set piece from a free, actually. Oh, and the shot, and Derek Scott That's got to be one of the goals of the World Cup. Argentina, 2. Bulgaria, 0. 2-0. Bulgaria played with seven midfielders in that game. Uh, they were really trying to hold out for that third place finish, which they did get even in defeat. They went through. Um, so they're now winless after five World Cups and 15 uh, games, but they're still through to the last 16. Maradona lost his uh, chain and a crucifix, uh, setting up the second goal in that game. It was a lovely left foot across just on the run outside the box. But uh, he, he emerged after the game, combing the whole um that end of the pitch until he found his chain his beloved chain so that meant that group a finished with argentina top with five points italy through also on four points and bulgaria with uh, two very drab draws getting through to the knockout stage also thanks john now on to group b or as the mexicans say group obey listen those are pretty impressive translation skills for a computer with less memory than noreen o'sullivan and unlike Group A and Group B, the top three are already decided. The Rack have lost their first two games to Paraguay and Belgium, so there's no way they can catch either of those sides. So it's all a matter of, um, I suppose, sorting out who finishes where. Paraguay, two. Belgium, two. And we referenced the Anschluss in 1982 earlier. Don't know if anything like that was going on between Paraguay and Belgium, but Belgium twice led in the first half through uh, Francois Verkauteren. Uh, before uh, early in the second half Roberto Cabanez levelled Belgium took the lead once again through Daniel Veit but Cabanez again equalised 15 minutes from time and it seemed to be a result that would suit both sides because they both ended up going through Um, Belgium as third placed team with three points and Paraguay automatically through in second because Mexico 1 Iraq 0 Second goal of the tournament from uh, the defender Fernando Curarte. Early in the second half, as they saw off the Iraqis 1 0 in Mexico City. So Mexico qualify as group winners, uh, Paraguay second, and in third place, Belgium. Yeah, and moving on to Group C France 3, Hungary 0. Very impressive again, once, uh, once again from France. Comprehensive 3 0 win. And it just shows you how, I guess, forgiving this 2014 format is that, it, it, you know, if Hungary had held on for, I think, a 1-0 defeat, they could still have gone through despite losing their opening game 6-0. But unfortunately, they're heading home with two points from their three games. USSR 2, Canada 0. This is really the Soviet reserve team. Um, the veteran Blokin, well, like Blokin gets, uh, gets a run out. He scores, actually injures himself very badly in scoring. Uh, and we'll miss the rest of the tournament. This is one for Mervyn Taylor. If you told him that you were going to watch a TV show containing people called Randy Samuel, Randy Reagan and Carl Valentine, he might have been reaching for the legislation, but in fact those are just three members of the Canadian team for this game. Um, Reasonably respectable outing for the Canadians. Didn't manage to score a goal in the tournament, but they're heading home with three reasonably competitive uh, performances. Right, so Group D, uh, Northern Ireland needed something out of a game from Brazil. I'd say a draw might have even gotten them through as one of the better third-placed 
teams. Uh, they've already got one point. Alas, it was a 3-0 loss versus Brazil for them. Yeah, what John said, it was 3-0. There was a couple of chances in the game for Clark, who was up front in a 4-5-1, and Whiteside, who missed uh, Sitter in that game as well, but they couldn't convert. So Brazil went through with goals there from uh, Muller, Josimar and uh, Careca with a nice backheel for the third goal. It was Pat Jennings' final appearance, his 119th cap Turlock on his 41st birthday. And he had been, like, the affection with which he's regarded is, is really apparent at the final whistle from both teams and from the Mexican fans. Um, he's really uh, applauded to the rafters and pretty much carried shoulder high off the, off the field. Uh, to be honest, I think he's at fault for a couple of the goals here, but kind of understandable given that he hasn't played regular first team football for probably six nine months before this um but he was still very much at the height of his powers in the qualifying um he his performances away to romania and away to england were just astonishing um some of the best goalkeeping i've I've actually ever seen from a man who was already 40 at that point so while he's possibly just passed over the hill uh this is actually his last game professional football but um he goes out and is widely widely remembered as as one of the greatest goalkeepers in the history of the game. 3-0 to Brazil, Carreca scoring after 15 minutes, Jose Mar with a spectacular goal just before half-time, and then Carreca again three minutes from the end. But as I said, it could have been six, and we have to thank the great Pat Jennings for the fact that it wasn't. A superb display in goal from the big man, his 119th cap, and the only sadness as we say goodbye to Mexico 86 is that we must also say goodbye to the big man from Newry. Yes, that commentator was Mike Nesbitt, future leader of the Ulster Unionist Party. Honestly, I turn my back on you people for 30 years and commentators are politicians, and David Icke is the son of God. Anyway, Algeria, nil. Spain, three. A couple of goals from Barcelona's uh, Calderay. He had failed a drugs test actually after the Northern Irish game and Spain had been uh, fined £8,000. But I believe he uh, they successfully argued that it was uh, antibiotic treatment for diarrhoea. So he was he was cleared to play in the rest of the tournament. A couple of goals in that uh, fixture against Algeria anyway to make it 3-0. And that saw Brazil and Spain qualify as the top two teams in Group D. And in Group T, Group E, uh, on the final day, Denmark play West Germany and Uruguay play Scotland in what is effectively two separate mini tournaments. Um, Denmark and West Germany are already true from the first two games, so it's all about uh, who finishes first, who finishes second. Denmark have two wins, West Germany have a win and a draw, so a, a win for West Germany would see them top the group. Um, Uruguay and Scotland, Uruguay have one point, Scotland have no points. So basically, Scotland. All Scotland need to do is get a win and hope that the third place uh, allocation uh, works in their favour. You know what, Dave? Why don't you take this one while I knock back a quick can of one cow? Ah, one cow. The metallic taste of the 80s. One calorie, zero flavour. The answer to the question: What if you could bottle despair? So, not great news for Scotland going into the game because Charlie Nicholas has, has been ruled out after the uh, after the the Denmark defeat. Um, but they get a slice of luck uh, in the first minute. Batista is sent off for for a heavy tackle on Strachan, and again we kind of talked earlier about how difficult it is to get sent off, and it's a superhuman effort to get sent off in the first minute of a game in 1986 it might be possible now it's still difficult in 1986 it was basically probably godlike behavior godlike misbehavior even so um scotland played virtually the entire game against 10 men um uruguay manager boras after the game called the uh, referee kinwil kinew a murderer I think that was a maybe a bit of an exaggeration. Again, as we saw in the in the West Germany game and in the Denmark game, Scotland missed a lot of chances, and Uruguay managed to hold out for a draw that sends them through, um, despite not not winning the game. That six one defeat and playing most of the most of the group stages with with ten men. 
uh, Jim McLaughlin. Uh, he was scandalised on RTE by Uruguay's behaviour, saying, I'd rather my children watch the werewolf film. <laughs> or, I think, video nasty is what they called them. <laughs> there were a few good werewolf films at this time. Uh, he could have he could have sent them to watch Wolfen, which probably would have been, which is a terrific film from, I think, 1982. And An Uruguayan werewolf in Mexico City. <laughs> A lot of outrage after that game, Dave. Uh, Alex Ferguson had some strong words about the Uruguayans. Yeah, he said uh, it's just not part of football. It's the whole bloody attitude of the nation. You can see that attitude there, the whole thing. They, the Uruguayans, have no respect for other people's dignity, which I'm guessing when he went to sign Diego Forlan 15 or 20 years later, he uh, used slightly different words. I was thinking that, actually. It's probably no surprise that Forlan failed so badly when he was dealing with that level of anti-Uruguayan prejudice from the manager. <laughs> the, yeah, so Scotland crash out um, and Uruguay have an anxious wait to see if, they'll, um, if they will get through on uh, as one of the fourth best third place sides. Um, in the game at the top of the group, I suppose it doesn't really matter in terms of qualification, but in terms of uh, maybe getting a, a a second place team or a third place team rather than a first place team uh, both teams want to finish top but in the end it proves quite a comfortable win for Denmark uh, West Germany rest a few players and Denmark go with basically the, a, a similar enough team um, and they get through uh, thanks to a Jesper Olsen penalty and a goal from the substitute John Eriksson who unfortunately died in 2002 of 44 after suffering with, with uh, early onset Alzheimer's yeah, that's that's particularly tragic. But also, I think, like the West Germans, always very pragmatic, and I think quite telling that they decided to to basically write this game off, or or at least not go hell for leather. Whereas for the Danes, I think, uh, the Danes really prized any kind of victory over over the Germans because I don't think they'd had one in a long time. Uh, so they went, yeah, they put out pretty much a full strength team, went very high intensity against. West Germany, uh, the West Germans had made the calculation that they'd rather save their energy, so we'll see uh, how that plays out and, and who ultimately made the right decision. Just, just to finish off, um, one of the funny things going into the game was uh, a feature in the Irish Independent on uh, Elkiar, who had uh, four goals in the first two games. Um, uh, basically all about how he likes having a smoke, kind of uh, in the in the Patsy Frayne sort of uh, vein of players who don't really don't really care too much and just uh, go out there and live purely on vibes. <laughs> yeah. Now on to Group F. Calm on Ingur land. Let's be packing Avenue, boys. Do it for the packing queen, in it. Bobby Robson doesn't include Brian Robson for this game. He insists that the responsible thing is to send Robson, Brian Robson home at this point, given the nature of his injuries. That that causes a huge amount of a huge amount of dissent in the English camp because the players are almost have this cargo cult attitude to Brian Robson where he has to be in the team even if he's you know even if he's effectively only got one arm they're insistent that he can play after being patched up Bobby takes I think the very reasonable decision to leave him out and so with a, a reworked midfield of Reed, Hoddle, Trevor Stephen and Steve Hodge and really having to win the game to go through England do win the game extremely comfortable comfortably and Gary Lineker the Barcelona striker finally, like the team, clicks into gear. He scores three really opportunistic strikers' goals in the first half. Poland, not really at the races at all. Um, they have a few shots from, from long range. Um, but despite being trounced 3-0, uh, Poland, as we said, with this forgiving format, once again, uh, go through in third place. And of the four teams, it's Portugal who miss out. They're badly beaten by, by Morocco. Uh, Morocco, in fact, win the group against all odds with a 3-0 win. Uh, Kyrie, I think is, is how you pronounce it, he scores two absolutely fantastic goals in this game. One one is a, a beautifully controlled side foot volley um, that's well worth uh, checking out. And he scores them within minutes of one another after 19 and 26 minutes. Um, and then Mary Cremau of La Havre clips in a third goal to really seal for Morocco. Diamantino scores a terrific consolation, a, a remarkably well-judged uh, chip that clears a defender on the line. Very similar to a goal I saw Ariel Ortega actually score at Lansdowne Road uh, many years later. But Portugal crash out. Morocco goes through, go through as group winners. England go through in second place. And 
despite really clearing stadiums left, right and centre, uh, Poland managed to creep through as one of the best third place finishers. Okay, let's get through the last 16 in super fast time. Do you want to run us through it there, Turlock? Whoa there, JB. Never send a man to do a scoreline computer's job. If anyone's gonna rattle through these games, it's gonna be me, bucko. Let me just flex my circuit boards. Here we go. Mexico, 2. Bulgaria, nil. Obviously winning a knockout game at home in a World Cup is, is a particular thrill and that's exactly what Mexico do against Bulgaria. 114,000 fans at the Azteca. Uh, they dominate the game. They take the lead through an absolutely stunning athletic volley by Negrete. It's one of my favourite goals of all time on 35 minutes. Negrete. Aguirre. Negrete. Lovely control between Aguirre and Negrete and a spectacular finish. And the Azteca Stadium is a mass of flags and jubilant faces. And the defender Severin heads in a corner on the hour. Um, and Bulgaria, I think their ambition was limited to going through to the second round. They managed that, but they'll go no further. Mexico win 2-0. Belgium, 4. USSR, 3. AET, that's after extra time. And this is a frantic, pulsating game in Leon. Um, Belenov has the, the ignominy, I suppose, of scoring a hat-trick, but still going out, as the USSR are defeated 4-3 after extra time. Schifo, Kulemans, Demol and Clausen give Belgium a, a 4-3 win. Uh, Soviets very, very unlucky to lose. Uh, Lobanovsky blames the officials um, for awarding Kuhlman's equaliser for 2-2 on 77 minutes. Does look pretty dodgy, but I mean, still on his players if their if their heads drop uh, when they when they concede, and so a terrific Soviet team uh, goes home after miscalculating its preparation. They 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 trained to peak at the quarterfinals, but they won't be going to the quarterfinals. Uh, Belgium go through 4-3. Brazil four, Poland nil. There's a, a joke going around Brazil at the time. The Pope is Polish, but God is a Brazilian. And that's borne out. Poland do miss some good chances, but Muller is pulled down and Socrates puts away the penalty to give them the lead on 30 minutes. Um, the Poles keep pressing, but Josemar scores an absolutely stunning goal. Um, again, one of my favourite goals of any World Cup. He drove it straight into that barricade. It's kind of like Van Basten's goal in the 88, in the Euro 88 final, if it wasn't a volley and he'd beaten several players to get into that position. It's his second goal of the tournament. He's a fullback, Josimar. They're the only two goals he will ever score uh, for Brazil. Um, but this one is particularly memorable. One of the all-time greats. Um, Eginho uh, scores a third and then there's another penalty for Koreka. Uh, Brazil win 4-0. Slightly fat, flattering, slightly harsh on Poland, but uh, Brazil march on. Argentina 1, Uruguay 0. Classic knockout football. This is an incredibly tense game and Maradona really seals his legend um, already. He's astonishingly good in this game. He sets up chance after chance after chance. Uh, strikers keep missing them. But Pasquale just does manage to put one in just before half time. The, the Lecce striker, um, Maradona, is astonishingly good in, in this game. Um, if you've ever... If you're slightly younger, maybe, and you've ever wondered exactly what the fuss was about, um, then seek out this game online and watch it, because I don't know if any player has ever reached the heights that Maradona is reaching at, at this point. Uh, as for Pasquale, uh, if you're not too familiar with him, uh, Argentina's goal scorer, he's now technical director at Barry Town in the League of Wales. So, so Uruguay finished with 11 players, so that's a... Probably a tournament high for them. <laughs> they did. It's it's not for want of trying though, because they 
as you can imagine, take lumps out of Maradona uh, throughout. Next up is the big one, folks. Bolognese versus Bourguignon. Italy, nil. France, two. Oh la la. People really looking forward to this one. It was a bit of a damp squib at the Olympico. Uh, the, the world champions crash out. Uh, the French are extremely impressive. Platini clips in the first goal after 15 minutes. Stopira as the second after a, a goal mouth scramble on 57. The result is, is never really in doubt. Uh, France burst through to the quarterfinals. Italy go home um, to plan for Italia 90. In between these games, or for this game, uh, Seamus Martin of, of the Irish Times wrote a very entertaining column. Uh, he got a, a behind-the-scenes glimpse at the RT panel. He was in the studio. Uh, for this one and his description of how the panel pass the time um, or how they how they behave off screen is very very entertaining and in particular the amount of ribbing that that Eamon Dunphy gets from the other panelists for largely it seems for using the word psyche um, which is is all a bit too um, it's all a bit too intellectual and Freudian for the RT panel he gets absolute <laughs> pelters for that but yeah the evening game is a lot closer and the last African team in the tournament at uh, Morocco uh, they take on uh, West Germany in San Nicolas. This is an extremely even game. Both sides take turns uh, just pinging shots straight at the goalkeeper. Uh, the only goal comes just before the end. A uh, very, very clever late free kick by Lothar Mateus, who unbelievably is already playing in his fourth major international tournament. Uh, he's already won the standout players of this tournament and he makes a difference here as West Germany go through. England, three. Paraguay, nothing mate. We sodding mullered those sodding sods, didn't we gov? Oh, oh, oh. 98,000 fans here to see it. England start nervily enough but uh, Lineker wakes up after taking a, a nasty whack to the head and scores two very opportunistic goals either side of uh, Peter Beardsley who's been brought into the side uh, in place of Mark Haightley. He scores a, a, a decent rebound. England win 3-0. And on RTE, Ray Tracy dismisses Paraguay as a crowd of bowsies. So not a huge amount of love for the South Americans from the from the panels in this part of the world. You know who I want to hear from next? That young upcoming pundit, Andy Gray. I presume he's still on TV in 2022. But I mean, when you've got people like um, Gary Lineker and Peter Beersley in that type of form, and the team playing so well, and I think they look as if they're enjoying it. They all seem to want to play, they all want the ball, and they look tremendous. They've got a good, solid foundation at the back, and uh, I think it's going to take a good team. I think Terry was saying earlier, I was listening earlier, it's going to take a good team rather than great, a great individual to win the World Cup this year. And in what I've seen in the last two English performances, they have a very good team at the moment. It's great to hear you say all that with a Scots accent, a and you'll never be able to go home, Wow, well... If there's one person whose judgment I trust, it's Andy Gray. Let's get the Union Jack bunting out. Oh, and in the meantime, it's Denmark versus Spain. Probably, if anything, the most anticipated. After making a brilliant start and after dominating the, the, the opening stages, um, Denmark, well, really, they, they just collapse. Um, take, they play with great panache. They take the lead through Jesper Olsen's penalty. And then just before half-time, Olsen um, collapses the entire house of cards. He plays an inexplicable black back pass that goes straight to, to Butrigueno. All I can think is that he's passing from the from the shade into the light and he somehow can't... Uh, he somehow gets dazzled or something, but uh, Butrigueno puts it away and the game immediately changes. Uh, Butrigueno scores again on 56 minutes. It's still... Pretty even until Goikachea uh, scores another penalty on 68 minutes. The Danes just suicidally attack for the last 20 minutes, um, and Butrigueño scores two more, including yet another penalty. The Danes are absolutely destroyed by by Spain, uh, 5-1. Um, it's a huge shock to the system for for everyone, and particularly for the 80s equivalent of football hipsters. Uh, but that's it. Spain through to the quarterfinals, and that's the end of the last 16. Okay, so that leaves us with eight teams left for the quarterfinals. Brazil, France, England, Argentina, uh, West Germany and Mexico and Spain and Belgium. A little look at the world of football outside of the World Cup. Uh, Ian Rush seems to be set to move to Juventus for a British record transfer fee. 
Uh, although he's likely to be loaned back to Liverpool for a season. Uh, so Juve don't exceed their quota of, I, I think, three foreign players. Would that be right? Yeah, uh, which is not really a huge vote of confidence, although maybe it was it was to do with a, a contractual issue or you know not wanting to to sell on a player under contract. But you'd you'd imagine if you wanted a player, you'd want him straight away. Yeah, strange setup there. And uh, what's going on with Beckenbauer's squad? Bit of unrest there. There is. Um, we had Portugal Saipan earlier, and we now have a very very lame West German Saipan because it's pretty low stakes. But the third choice goalkeeper Uli Stein of Hamburg. Uh, has been sent home uh, for clashing with Franz Beckenbauer. So he'd already been demoted to third-choice goalkeeper from second-choice, which is probably uh, the least impactful demotion of all time. Um, but now he's in hot water, uh, no pun intended, for a soup-based insult at Franz Beckenbauer. So the squad were playing some kind of German kids game, like a nice spy game, uh, when Stein referred to Beckenbauer as Zuppenkasper, who's a figure from German's children's stories. And that was taken to be a reference to a Noor soup com- commercial that Der Kaiser had recorded in the 60s. And uh, yeah, obviously Beckenbauer was pretty um, pretty sensitive about it. And and uh, yeah, uh, Stein is in the soup and he gets sent home. Kraft in den Teller, Knorr auf den Tisch, sagt Franz Beckenbauer, Fußball-Nationalspieler. Er weiß warum. Sein Motto, das Essen kann gar nicht kräftig genug schmecken. Er sagt, Kraft in den Teller, Knorr auf den Tisch. Denken Sie an Franz Beckenbauer. I just nip, I'm, I'm just going to use that in general conversation now against anyone I don't like. You're bleeding, sop and Kasper. If only there was such commercial jibes um, involved in the in the Keane McCarthy spat, it would have made that a little bit more interesting. On to the quarterfinals. First up, Brazil versus France. If I had a mouth, it would be watering. Take it away, John. Brazil dominated the first half. Classic seesaw game between two titans. They took the lead on 17 minutes. Uh, a fine move put Careca in on the left. And uh, he swept his shot past Joel Batts uh, in Nets for France. Um, Muller hits the post then shortly after for Brazil. But France equalised just before half-time. When Platini got in to tap in uh, Rochetteau's cross at the far post. He was having a quiet game up to that point. France were much better in the second half. But Batts kept them in the game with some excellent saves. Uh, and Zico, legend of 82, was brought on. And he played in Branco, who was brought down by Batts. Uh, and, uh, but he stayed on. The keeper stayed on, uh, even though he'd kind of stopped a, a, goal, a, a goal-scoring chance. There was no automatic reds in those days. The goalkeeper saved it. And they couldn't put the rebound in. So it went extra time, which France dominated. There was a good chance for France when the Brazilian keeper Carlos took down Bellon just outside the box, uh, but their advantage came to nothing and it went to penalties. This penalty shootout actually in, in Hero, the film, uh, is the, the score for it is amazing. I don't know if you remember it, lads, but it's uh, it's the kind of yeah, the, uh, the the tense apex of, of the film. The result of this quarterfinal will now be decided by penalties. Socrates blows out on the first Brazilian strike. Stopira scores for France. Alameo for Brazil. Amaros for France. This time, Zico gets it right. Bologna scores. Branco for Brazil. 3-3. Platini lives a moment of private hell on his birthday, seen by a billion people live around the world. Julio Cesar for Brazil. Joel Batts cannot believe his luck. Score still 3-3. The final responsibility rests on the shoulders of Louis Fernandez, so long a mainstay for France. The most important single kick of his life. France win 4-3 on penalties, and for their second successive World Cup, secure a place in the semi-finals. 
Thanks to Michael Caine for taking over comms there. Real name? Morris Micklewhite. Not a lot of people know that. Checks in the post? Michael, me old mucker. Anyway, on to West Germany, Mexico. The signs that the Mexicans are, are kind of satisfied enough with with getting to the to the quarterfinals and certainly signs that there's a bit of fatigue there, but there is still um an enormous an enormous um crowd and an enormous anticipation around around this game, particularly as the West Germans are seen as being a little bit vulnerable. Uh, the game goes to extra time. It's nil nil. It's played again in very very uh, hot conditions in Monterey. Germans can break down the Mexicans. The Mexicans can break down the Germans. Um, but the Germans do lose Thomas Berthold after sixty five minutes, uh, when he sent off for a second bookable offence. But unfortunately, that the Mexicans can't retain that advantage because when the game goes for extra time, uh, Javier Aguirre uh, is also sent off to to even things up, and the penalty shootout. Unfortunately, the Mexicans, like many many an international team before them, come up against the Germans. Just total ruthlessness and professionalism in the penalty shootout. The Germans put away all their four penalties. Only Negrete scores for Mexico, and so it ends up with that very unusual penalty shootout scoreline of West Germany 4, Mexico 1. But the atmosphere after this game, and Con Hulahan reports on this actually uh, in his column, is weirdly celebratory. Um, Mexicans, I think, are very, very proud to have gone to the quarterfinals and to have put it up to one of the, the great teams of European football so they can exit with their heads held high and I think without without losing uh, any face. Okay, now on to what Jack Charlton has called the game nobody wanted. Four years after the Falklands, Argentina and England take their differences to the pitch. Dave, tell us what happened. Okay, so um, obviously Jack expects um, perhaps something to happen off the pitch, but I think everybody, absolutely everybody will remember what happened on the pitch because Maradona scored what can only be described as two of the most astonishing goals and most famous goals in the history of not only the World Cup, but I think just football in general. Um, teams went in all square at the break, but seven minutes into the second half, Something quite interesting happens. Maradona just walked away from Hoddle then. They're appealing for offside. The ball came back off the foot of Steve Hodge. And Maradona gives Argentina the lead. I think we call it the hand of God. Um, you know, one of the most iconic goals in, in football history is uh, six foot one uh you know midget peter shilton comes out and is uh easily out jumped by the five foot four giant maradona and he may touch the ball with his hand there's no conclusive proof but uh the english say that he's handled the ball into the net referee's not convinced one nil to uh argentina within four minutes maradona does this Enrique to Maradona. Different class. Different class! When they talked about the great players of World Championship football, this man will be on a pedestal. Oh, just what a just the movement, unbelievable! That turn at the start of that uh, goal, you could just watch it on repeat for the rest of your life, really, couldn't you? And I think um, for for Ireland fans having uh, having recently become acquainted with Jack Charlton, how do we feel about uh, how do we feel about his tip to put Peter Reid uh, on Maradona, considering how easily he was ghosted past for that uh, that iconic goal? Well, I don't. I don't think there was anyone in, in the English squad who was going to be able to to mark man mark. Ah, Brian Robson Maradona would have stopped that happening, surely, Turlock. <laughs> Brian Robson would have summoned the his uh, his godly powers and and smote him. I think Brian Robson would have broken his other shoulder if he'd been if he'd been left on his arse like that. I mean, it's all been said over the years about this goal, but there is 
I did once read a, an Argentinian account of this of of this goal, which I think summed it up really well. It said something like there was, you know, it, it it was like a a great piece of classical music in that it was exactly as complex as necessary and as simple as possible. It, it you know, there's just there's almost like a I don't know a a supernatural intelligence at play here. Um, Maradona has always pr- protested that he was trying to lay the ball off to Baldano, but he, he just uh, never got the opportunity and decided ultimately just to try and, at the last minute really, just to try and beat the last man, beat the keeper and finish it. Um, he beats, I think, at least two English players twice here. Um, when you watch it back, it's it's all it's all, it's over kind of disappointingly quickly. It's you know he 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 runs from the half line halfway line in. in a few seconds uh, really and you kind of have to watch it back again and again to appreciate uh, all the different all the different little um flourishes that go into making this goal but yeah i mean i must say that i think english fair play is a very overrated um concept but you know reading all the the english accounts of this game afterwards obviously they're very very salty about about the first goal, but you know every single one of them, I think, acknowledges that you know they've they've witnessed one of the greatest sequences of football of all time. How do you feel about uh, Maradona's claim that he was looking to offload it to Baldano? Because I think we all know about Maradona and his uh, you know his personality and everything like that. But as a footballer, I don't think he was ever particularly selfish. So I kind of I kind of believe him on that. Yeah, I believe him, on that, and I also think. Um, I also think it was probably a bad idea given that Faldano had missed so many chances in, in this tournament. So, yeah, it could we could well have been looking at another result if he hadn't taken it all the way. Um, just kind of before we move on, I think uh, we played the Jimmy McGee commentary earlier and I think it's probably worth just reflecting on just how good it was. Uh, the goal itself was kind of, it was genius, but it was also very simplistic. And I think Jimmy really... Uh, really got that across there's so much sort of silence in that commentary he's not he's not narrating every single second he just kind of leaves it and just lets it breathe and i think that's just an amazing an amazing talent for a commentator to have yeah jimmy mcgee is up there with maradona for me uh legends of the game um uh england tried to stay in that game they got a couple of wingers on waddle on the right and barnes on the left uh barnes made an instant impact and crossed for lineker to head his sixth goal of the tournament with nine minutes to go. So England were still in with uh, a chance, but um, Argentina actually had another good chance to, to put it beyond them. Uh, Maradona set up set up a chance for substitute, substitute Tapia after an incredible pirouette. Shots somehow stayed out after hitting the butt of the post. And then with two minutes to play, Barnes uh, jinked past Enrique to the byline, fired over a cross which Alerta Cacheo somehow nicked off Lineker's head under the crossbar and and that was it 2-1 uh, England lose amid much recrimination yeah I, th- I think to be honest it's, it's remembered as as you know a, g- a game that was settled by by that uh, contentious handball and also that late freakish clearance by Alerta Cacheo but you know having watched the game back in full I think England very 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 flattered by 2-1 uh, I think Argentina and particularly Mar- Maradona destroyed them throughout just for me, uh, Margaret Thatcher, Dennis Thatcher, Mark Thatcher, your boys took one hell of a beat. Well, we knew the danger, and so it was proven to be, in one way or another, a man called Maradona has put us out of this World Cup. From us, cheerio. Cheerio, Des. Ah, well, Euro 88 is coming up soon. And who's gonna stop us there? You bunch of paddies. Ha ha. Anyway, time for Spain versus Belgium. Belgians took the lead with a diving header from Jan Kuhlemans, but it was very much Spain's game from from that point. Belgian goalkeeper Jean-Marie Faf kept the minute for, for long periods, but he, he was beaten in the 86th minute when a, a free kick was pulled back to Juan Antonio Senor, who had come off the bench at half-time, and he smashed a shot past the, the goalkeeper. Game went to extra time. Spain probably again had the better of it, but like a couple of other of these quarterfinals this one went to penalties as well and Faf really stood up in the shootout he saved the second penalty the second Spanish penalty from Eloy every other penalty was scored leaving Leo van der Elts to fire in the winning penalty and Belgium again as I said earlier after having come into the basically 
flopped their way into the tournament and and you know just uh, just about got through the group stages are now now on the cusp of something very very big and that's the quarters wrapped uh, we'll take a brief uh, sojourn over to Las Vegas where Barry McWigan fought Steve Cruz it was a defense of his WBA title and his his, his crack at you know cracking America and it was the early hours of a Tuesday morning a lot of bleary eyed Irish people uh, keeping an eye on that action and it went all the way to the final round McGuigan fell a couple of times in that 15th round and that seemed to be what kind of ultimately lost him the fight is that right Turlock? Yeah um, and this is a this is a shock defeat he loses on points um, it, he was carrying carrying a couple of injuries into the into the fight and um, people really afterwards kind of lambasting uh, Barney Eastwood and the and the his management and his strategy in fighting outdoors at Caesar's Palace in absolutely sweltering conditions. Uh, even Steve Cruz, the kind of as he said, slight journeyman who defeated him and was obviously you know uh, much more much more um, used to those conditions, said it was absolutely brutal. It was it was barely survivable. It was almost impossible to fight in. Um, McGuigan is taken to hospital at the end. Um, of the fight, uh, but Cruz wins on points, and that pretty much there's a couple of comebacks, but that's pretty much the end of McGuigan's career. This is remembered as one of the great uh, title fights, uh, despite the energy sapping conditions. Um, I think it was voted fight of the year. Jimmy McGee had a great few days, having commentated on the on the Argentina England game. He also jetted across the border for this bout in the middle of a World Cup. So uh, yeah. Red letter week for Jimmy McGee, but unfortunately he can't bring McGuigan any luck. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a devastating defeat for, as Dave was saying earlier, one of the people who'd, who'd really um, popularised professional boxing in Ireland and was, was a hero really island-wide. Um, one, of, one of the rare sporting heroes of the time who, who transcended every kind of divide on the islands. But uh, yeah, he loses his title. At Caesar's Palace. The post-mortem may have ended, but the recriminations remain. Here in Clonus, the feelings are that it was a disastrous decision to locate the fight in the middle of the Nevada desert, in conditions utterly unsuited to Barry McGuigan, a decision dictated by financial considerations and not by good sound boxing tactics. I'm glad it's over. I think it should never have taken place. It's complete and utter miscalculation. The middle of the Sahara Desert, the hottest place possible, for some brought up in this. Right, so back to the football. Uh, semi-finals, France-West Germany was the first game up. Do you want to run us through that there, Turlock? Yeah, again, extremely anticipated game. I think people are, are looking forward to a repeat of, of 1982, the classic semi um, between France and, and West Germany. We don't quite get that, but this is still a very, very interesting match. Um, before the game, Jimmy Greaves on ITV is asked if the French should be worried about the Germans, and he says... I've been worried about the Germans since a doodle bug landed at the bottom of our garden, which uh, people got annoyed about, but I think it's quite funny, to be honest. Um, before the game, Battiston and, Shoemaker, and Schumacher shook hands and made up for the, the, the notorious 82 foul um, of Schumacher on, on Battiston, about which Greavesy says Schumacher got kicked out of the Gestapo for cruelty, which I think is in poor taste, to be honest. Rolf is sent to, to man-mark Platini in this game, as he had done in the 1983 uh, European Cup final. And Platini doesn't really feature um, in a decisive way. The French look strangely listless um, in this game. And as so often happens in the World Cup, the, the goalkeeper who's had a great tournament makes the crucial error. Uh, after just nine minutes, um, Felix Magat... Yeah, that one. Uh, touches a free kick to Bremer, and his left-footed sh- drive goes straight through Scholbatz. It's a, it's a terrible error, really, uh, particularly at this business end of the tournament. Batz does make some saves to keep um, the French in the game before uh, Platini has a goal ruled out for a clear offside. Bossis, who missed the decisive penalty in, in 82 in that semi, he misses an open goal. That's as good as it gets for the French. Um, in the last minute... Uh, Schumacher saves a desperate volley and he hurls the ball 50 yards it gets prodded through to Rudy Fuller he lifts it over bats and rolls it in a uh, very cool finish on the death of a, of a World Cup semi-final uh, and that's it the French are dumped out West Germany go through 2-0 and um, a very functional West German team I must say just playing really good tournament football have made it all the way to the final uh, after this game 
Eamon Dunphy is scathing about Michel Platini. He accuses him of, of cowardice. Um, and John Giles needles Eamon again about that word psyche. He says, uh, my psyche has suffered when <laughs> because France have gone out. Uh, things are heating up in, in Donnybrook, but they're going to boil over very shortly, as, as we'll hear um, after the, the next semi-final. Now, let's see if Belgium can do what Peter Reid couldn't and stop Maradona. It's Argentina-Belgium in the second semi-final. And if we talked about West Germany being a functional side, then I think Belgium very much uh, fall into the same category, albeit um, instead of Lothar Matthäus, Belgium have Enzo Schifo, uh, who is just a little bit of a class above in terms of creativity and, and, and football in general. So um, going into this game, there's uh, Carlos Bellardo, says Maradona's biggest flaw so far has been his willingness to help out in defence, which uh, if anybody has watched Cristiano Ronaldo play, that's uh, <laughs> a, a corollary. Um, so he says he told him before the English game to stop marking and just go forward, and apparently it worked. Um, so it was a game that Maradona completely just took over and dominated. I don't know if anybody has seen the famous photograph of Maradona taking on six players. I know it's maybe a little bit deceptive because it's from a free kick and he doesn't actually dribble through all of them, but it's just an iconic photograph and it kind of sums up how the game went. It was it was basically Belgium just trying to stop Maradona and hope that none of the other ten Argentina players actually did anything. But Maradona broke the deadlock uh, six minutes after halftime. Uh, Burashaga stabbed a lovely ball through Maradona beat two defenders and he flicked the pass faff to make it 1-0 just for the hour mark uh, Maradona put the seal Maradona going at them again brilliant run by Maradona fantastic goal unbelievable world class in the best sense of the phrase he picked the ball up about 40 yards out he cruised past two players before clipping a smart finish past Faf, who must have been sick of him at this point. I actually watched the game back in full, and it's just, it's, I don't think it's a complete Maradona masterclass. It's not like he's on the ball every single second. It's it's more of a cagey match than that. Belgium are sitting back an awful lot. Again, as I mentioned earlier, Maradona is actually a fairly unselfish player. He tries to bring other people into the game constantly. So it's not it's not a case of Maradona against eleven players or anything like that, but it's a, you know, it was just a. I suppose it's it's the kind of thing you expect from Messi or something like that. Just the, you know, it's a team that just know that the only way that they can compete is to sit back and just hope that they can defend, and one player just trying to, you know, find a way to get a bit of space. And that second goal is just outrageous, like, as I said. The guts of forty yards beats two players and just finishes with such such ease. It's just wonderful to watch. And again, Belgium have you know done extremely well to get to this point, and they probably knew that their luck maybe was up, but uh, they put up a really stout defence, and it was a you know it's a good game to watch. Grand, that's the semis wrapped. So uh, we've got obviously an Argentina West Germany final. Um, but before we get to that, uh, there's a few stories back home to talk about. There's two, well, three major stories. First of all, the divorce referendum took place on the 26th of June, the day after the semis, uh, with results announced on the 27th. And by a two thirds majority, it's a decisive no. So, what seemed unthinkable a fortnight ago, if pollsters and many observers were to be believed, has now happened. The divorce proposals brought forward by the government with the one dissenting voice, that of Paddy Cooney, have been roundly defeated. It's almost a landslide. Before the results are even complete, the focus will inevitably shift to the political stage, with questions begged about the wisdom of the government putting this referendum forward at all. We've been speaking to a number of opponents of divorce. We'll hear from the divorce supporters in a moment. First, Fine Gael's Alice Glenn. I am delighted indeed, and give thanks to God for the, having the people delivered from the evil of a divorce culture. So what did you make of the fallout of that result, Turlock? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a kind of 
there's been a, a palpable shift in in the polling. Um, I think Fianna Fáil's policy of neither uh, supporting the referendum nor formally opposing it kind of wore away in the last week or so. And, and I think, you know, a lot of kind of partisan Fianna Fáil support swung behind, behind the no side. So it's it's obviously a huge, a huge uh, defeat and a huge blow for a lot of women's groups who were who were very hopeful of, of a yes vote and of, of I, I guess, giving giving a lot of women a route out of um, abusive relationships and giving people, I guess, more more control over their lives. Um, in the wake of the results, there's, I guess, a, a sort of mitigating package of legislative measures uh, being discussed, including this, this one really shocked me when I read about it, a, a raising of the marriage age to 18. At this time, the marriage age for boys really for men was 16 for girls it was 14 so there was the talk there was uh, more or less cross-party support for raising that to 18 uh, in the wake of the defeat of the divorce referendum um but one divorce that has gone through is Eamon Dunphy's divorce from RTE because on the eve of the final himself of the final itself we have the the third third place playoff between France and Belgium in Puebla very entertaining game France win 4-2 after extra time but that's only half the the drama because much like his his future idol Roy Keane um, Eamon is about to storm out of the team on the verge of a big occasion um, as would become their tradition RTE had handed over duties for the third place playoff to the comedy departments uh, in this case Dermot Morgan and Brush Shields um, whether Brush Shields qualifies as the comedy department I'm not entirely sure. Maybe but that, that is that was the lineup. But that is anyway. maybe one case where you can put comedian in inverted commas, Dave. <laughs> yeah, I, I've changed my mind. <laughs> um, yeah, well, what followed anyway, according to Dumphy, was an abusive and gratuitous depiction of RT's World Cup panel, which uh, showed him as a hand puppet on Ray Tracy's lap. Ray Tracy was in on, in on this actually. Uh, and it showed John Giles, Dunphy said, as a monosyllabic illiterate. Uh, they also had Dunphy loudly castigating Platini for being anonymous in the game, uh, the joke being that Platini wasn't actually playing. So viewers tuning in to the final coverage would find uh, Bill O'Hurley, John Giles, Ray Tracy, Jim McLaughlin uh, kitted out in their Sunday best, but no Amo. Um, and his absence was noted, and when um, the Irish Times' Seamus Martin called RTE for an explanation, they wouldn't give one. But it turned out that Eamon was actually demanding a public apology from RTE before he'd appear again. He said he was doing them a favour by appearing on TV. Uh, he was a print journalist and, uh, yeah, appearing on TV was was a, a favour to the nation, apparently. Um, Dermot Morgan said he was he was flabbergasted by Dunphy's reaction and that uh, the subject of an impersonation is hardly the best judge of its quality. So, yeah, fireworks at, at, in Donnybrook. Um, are we surprised by Eamon Dunphy's um, sense of I mean, humor. I'm not surprised, Failure but it's here. just, it's mind-boggling, especially after that article where he, like, skewered a load of uh, pundits um, before the World Cup for then, t for then him to get a bit of a ribbon from the comedians and uh, storm out of the room, like. I think maybe he's mellowed slightly in his, in his, uh, in the, in the intervening decades. There was that um, thing during one APRE match at a subsequent World Cup where he was kind of, uh, there was a typical Archie studio fuck-up where um, viewers could hear his, his commentary on it and he was loudly shouting that they'd lost it and that this was rubbish, which uh, actually I think was true by that time. But uh, yeah, obviously, I think, it, I think it probably rankled a little bit with Eamon more than, more than he more than he let on. But that was the last viewers would see of him on Archie for few years he said he had better things to do with his time uh, but we did get to read his prediction in the Sunday press he said if God follows football Argentina will win today's final um, alas there is no evidence that God bears any influence in relation to FIFA so well well may be that Maradona that beautiful smiling urchin so recently confirmed among, among the all-time greats will have to stand and watch as Karl-Heinz Rubenigge picks up the cup West Germany to win there was a pretty ar there was a odd article from David Lacey in the evening press as well. Uh, weirdly horny around Sophia Loren. Maradona is obviously Naples's reward for giving us Sophia Loren. 
There may be a slight difference in build, but the way in which he has sliced through the defences of England and Belgium suggests a similar capacity to bowl men over. The difference, in Maradona's case, is that the men concerned had less amorous thoughts in mind when their approaches were made. So, after 29 days, 51 games, 127 goals, and a quick word from our sponsor, Bring them back a busker, bring them back a treat. You know that every kid'll love the magic in the middle. So play it on a banjo, or bang it on a drum. But bring them back a busker, mum. It's time for the game of all games. This is the biggest moment in a scoreline computer's career. Ever since my first chips were soldered into place, I've dreamt of this moment. The result of the 1986 World Cup final is... Error. 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 Fatal exception at line 11902. Shutdown initiated. Reverting to human control. All down to the final game after a very entertaining um, tournament. In an unusual move, actually, Jimmy McGee has joined George Hamilton um, on the mic for this one. And the game they describe will be will be won for the ages. Um, Beckenbauer makes a big call by dropping the man marker, Rolf, which leaves Matthias to mark Maradona. It's unorthodox. What do we, what do we think of that as a, as a tactical manoeuvre? I think Lothar Matthias is probably capable of doing everything, but... It's very odd to see him, um, considering his attributes in attack and the fact that Germany were probably going to be needing to score at least one goal. It seems like an odd decision. Yeah, it seems like an odd one to in a team with kind of lacking creative inspiration to to negate your top player like that. But I suppose needs must when you're up against the the, the top player in, in world football, possibly of all time. Um. And Maradona makes an impact early in the game. Um, he, his corner finds two Argentinians unmarked at the back post, but they get in each other's way, and Batista flubs the shot. Um, but Maradona then is walking a tightrope tight rope because he gets booked by the Brazilian ref Filho for descent after just 18 minutes, so he can't afford any rash tackles or um, ill-advised handballs for the, for the rest of the game. Um, but that doesn't look like it's going to make a difference because... has given Argentina the lead after 22 minutes of the World Cup final. Burichaga fires over a free kick from the right. Um, Schumacher unwisely comes out for it and Jose Luis Brown heads in the opening goal for Argentina. Now, John Motson uh, refers to Brown as being of Irish descent. As far as we can establish, he was probably of Scottish descent, although there are some people in Kerry, um, in Clochon, I think, who say that, that that the Browns were originally Scottish. They may well have been kind of casual migrant labourers in Kerry and have left Ireland for Argentina sometime in the 1850s. There was Browns in Foxford and Mayo as well, so you just you just don't know. Yeah, he could he could be the, the only Mayo Mayo goal scorer in a, in a World Cup final to date. Um, we'll watch the space for whoever comes along next. Um, Maradona's pretty quiet. He's been man-marked effectively out of the game by Mateus. Um, Rumenega has a decent chance on the half hour but then Maradona does get into the game he works a, an excellent one-two with Boruchaga, um, but can't quite get in his shot rebounds off, off Schumacher's legs uh, Briegel does have a chance to equalise a half chance really um, shortly before half time but it's 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 cleared away um, the West Germans really playing very Jack Charlton like football just whacking it long and I'm hope, hoping for a break in the in the penalty area or around the penalty area uh, but Argentina are well on top even with Maradona completely shackled at half time uh, which just I suppose goes to prove that ultimately they weren't a one man team um at the break with with Argentina leading 1-0 West Germany uh, send on Fuller for for Klaus Alofs Fuller has been a, something of a, of a super sub in the tournament to date. It doesn't really change the flow of the game. Argentina keep opening them up um, and West Germany just keep relying on set pieces and long balls. After 55 minutes... Maradona, that's the speciality pass that they have of just moving the ball on to the next player. Hector Enrique found Valdano and they've got players up here. Valdano! Argentina, the Aztecs salute 
the South American side who may now become world champion. Valdano has been extremely wasteful in this tournament. Slides this one casually past Schumacher for his fourth goal of the tournament when really he might have had 10 if he'd put away half his chances. Uh, but that makes it 2-0 to Argentina. And with West Germany really barely able to, to work a foothold in the game, that looks like it's going to be decisive. Um, just after the hour mark, Dieter Hoeneß, whose brother Uli played in the, in the 74 final, uh, rather ancient-looking target man. He comes on for Felix Magat, who I think this might have been his, his last performance, his last Magat's last game of, of professional football. Uh, Germany are clinging on. Valdano and Boricaga both come close before a West German set-piece finally pays off in the 73rd minute. Driven, Buller, Rummenigge, goal! Karl-Heinz Rummenigge. With 17 minutes to go, he's got one back, and West Germany have a foothold again in the final. Bremer's corner from the left is headed on by Fuller, and Rummenigge forces it over the line with the studs. Very scruffy goal, but it gets West Germany back in the game. Dunphy's prediction seems to be paying off. Dunphy's prediction does seem to be paying off. He did say that Germany would, would pose a threat from, from set pieces, and that's just... Uh, re-emphasised in the 83rd minute when it looks like Argentina have let the World Cup slip through their fingers. Fuller trying to take up a near post position here. Bremer curls it awkward. Oh, it's there! Another Bremer corner from the left is headed into the middle by Berthold at the back post. Fuller just cocks his head and connects powerfully for 2-2. Argentina have lost their lead with seven minutes to go. They've been absolutely mugged by a team that's really just hung on throughout the game and hoped for a, a break from a set piece. And that's exactly what's happened twice. So just when it looks as though West Germany have forced extra time in which... Their, their conditioning and physicality could even be decisive. We've talked about this being a 13-man game and energy being important at this stage. You would have thought maybe that a couple of fresh legs would have made all the difference. He's on side. is blue for Argentina. Can he do it? Maradona finally plays a, a, a key role in the final. He, he plays just a what looks like a casual first-time pass, um, but it really opens up the West German defence. They've pushed up almost to the halfway line. Maradona puts Borchaga in. Uh, he ignores Valdano, who's free to his left. Schumacher comes out probably a little bit too late or a little bit too early, um, and that gives time for Borichaga to just toe-poke the ball past him for 3-2. Psychologically devastating to the West Germans. They've just fought their way back into the game, and now they're behind again. Um, thereafter, it, it seems more likely that Argentina will get a fourth. Uh, the West Germans are gone physically and mentally. Um, in stoppage time, Bellardo sends on Marcelo Trobiani uh, for his only two minutes of the tournament, and his only involvement is, is an absolutely outrageous back heel. That should set up a fourth, but Enrique, Enrique fluffs the final ball. And the Germans have a chance, they don't! Argentina have won the World Cup for the second time in one of the most dramatic finals in the history of the competition. A quite extraordinary second half in the Azteca. From the tournament overall, I think that they've had probably the hardest route, and they've overcome the most challenges on the way i know belgium maybe wouldn't be the the toughest semi-final opponents but they played uruguay uh who kicked maradona off the field they've played you know yeah well everyone's kicked maradona off the field really 
and uh, I suppose the, the the only thing that would kind of occur to me is like um, for Beckenbauer is it you know that apocryphal phrase people say Einstein Einstein I don't think Einstein ever said it but um, uh, insanity is is doing the same thing and expecting it to work um, because Beckenbauer himself in the 1966 World Cup final man marked Bobby Charlton and it almost worked out for the Germans they got the extra time but it wasn't enough in the end and it seems like he Beckenbauer decided that Matthias should do the same thing to Maradona and it almost worked out for them. They got until close to injury time, but it didn't work out for them. So maybe it was just a tactical, a tactical mistake. But maybe I don't know. Maybe just the fact that Argentina were obviously a better team and had the best player in the world. Maybe that was that was the only difference. It would have made Beckenbauer the first player to both captain and manage um, a World Cup winning team. Uh, I'm, I'm sure it won't <laughs> never happen. That Borussia finished though. Incredibly cool uh, with four minutes to go to win a World Cup final. It's all over. It's been our pleasure to bring this World Cup to you. Thank you for sharing it with us. We've loved it all and we hope you have too. Cheerio. So that's that really. There's not much more to say about the, the World Cup. We'll leave the last words to Jack. He had something to say about each of Ireland's Euro 88 qualifier opponents. So we'll each take one of them before saying goodbye lads. I'll start with Belgium. Jack's take on them was that they have a good method and most of their players are reasonably talented. Kuhlemans looked their only class forward. They did nothing which frightened me. Steely words there on Belgium. What did he to say about Scotland there, Dave? Uh, Jack said, The side will probably have changed quite a bit, but I expect Scotland to play the way they always do. It'll be interesting to see if Sunez agrees to assist them. I know their style well. They won't surprise us. And on Bulgaria, Turlock? Yeah, very negative about them. He says, very disappointing. It was obvious they weren't interested in scoring goals. Very negative and boring team, which uh, some people might say was a bit rich coming from the, the style, someone playing the style of football Jack was playing. But obviously, it just emphasizes that it was a um, very different world in, in, in those days, that you know Jack didn't really have to worry about having those words uh, pasted up in, in Cyrillic on the, on the Bulgarian um on the Bulgarian dressing room wall because uh, obviously it was it was it was a much more kind of closed off and hermetically sealed kind of footballing world at that time. But uh, yeah, we'll see if Bulgaria do cause any Ireland any problems. We'll leave it there then. I think lads, we can find out what happens on the next episode of Back to Jack when we'll be launching into the Euro eighty eight qualifiers. Thanks very much, lads. And of course, the housekeeping. You can find us at 100irishgames at gmail.com if you have anything you'd like to send in to us. We're also on Twitter with that same handle, 100irishgames. And do rate and subscribe to the podcast as well, if you don't mind. Cheerio. And up yours as well. As well.